welcome to Homeopathy Lee, a podcast about all things homeopathy. My name is Mitty Mitchell and I'm your host. I'm a practicing homeopath and on this podcast I share with you homeopathic gold nuggets, snippets from the homeopathic practice and what the world looks like from where I am. Today I want to talk about dreams and how dreams can be used in the homeopathic consultation and why I'm so fascinated by it and why I use it more and more. But before we get into that, then I just want to also just comment on some stuff that is going on in our world and just offer you the perspective of the homeopath on some different issues. And the first thing that I would like to just talk about is um, Elizabeth Holmes or the now convicted CEO of Theranos. Theranos, I think it's called. So Theranos, what is, what is that? And who is Elizabeth Holmes? Well, Theranos is this company where they were trying to make mini labs or so to say make a almost like portable lab it's not proper portable but it, it kind of looks like a big printer and then the whole idea with this thing is that just through one pin prick uh, of blood coming out of the finger you should then be able to perform hundreds of tests inside this device just with this one little drop of blood and the whole vision Uh, which came from Elizabeth Holmes, who started this company when she was 19 years old, was that in this way we could run tests on ourselves much quicker. And instead of having to, or if we go to the doctor, instead of sending the blood off to a lab, that the doctor could make these tests in his doctor's practice. And in this way, you could get a lot of information about lots of different ailments, right away more or less um, without having the whole issue of transporting blood and the other thing is also that you did you wouldn't have to draw as much blood because it would just be the pinprick and anybody who has had their blood drawn for blood tests you know how much blood it is that they're taking so this was the whole vision of elizabeth holmes and for the first 10 years or so she was mega successful not in creating a test that worked, but she was very successful at raising money. And she was the first female in entrepreneur to uh, be worth a billion dollars at one point, which is quite an accomplishment. The problem just was that she didn't deliver. There was no working device and all the different presentations that she did. She basically um, lied. And when she was um, reporting that the device was working and so on, it was also lies. And even though she managed to get a, a deal with a big chain of pharmacies in the US, where they apparently started using them, then the people that came in to enjoy uh, this device where they would only have to give one little drop of blood, they were still asked to deliver a lot of blood. And those blood samples were actually sent to labs. And the tests that they were done uh, that were done in the device, well, they were not accurate. And why is it that I'm talking about this? Because it's on my mind. I've been thinking about it so much because, frankly, ever since I heard about this lady for the first time, I was wondering, how is this even possible? And how come is it that what I know and what I have been told and what I have learned, how come that, that those things are not real anymore? Were people lying to me? What's going on? So what's the story? Okay, so the story is that I was in hospital for many weeks, for six weeks with my daughter when she was a baby because she was poorly um, as a baby. She had meningitis two times. I got to see many departments of a hospital, you know, including 
intensive care. Um, it was a, obviously a bad time in my life, but at the same time, while you spend so much time in hospital, you also learn a lot. In speci- speci- of course, more so if you have a curious mind and, and you don't mind asking questions and I'm that kind of person. And, you know, when you spend so much time in a hospital, you also get very familiar with the people that are there and you get kind of like a friendly rapport with uh, most people where you start talking about other things and you get to know each other. And I did ask the question once uh, when I was looking at yet another batch of blood samples collected from my baby. And I was asking them, why is it that you need so much blood? And the, 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 the nice intensive care nurse, she said to me, well, Meta or mom, <laughs> what, that's your name when you are in a hospital with a child. They don't call you by your name. You're called mom. She said, well, mom, you know, um, the stuff that we are looking for in these blood samples, uh, it's not everywhere in the blood. You should imagine it, it a little bit like fishing. You know, you, you don't get fish just because you pick up a bucket of water from the ocean. Uh, or on the other side, you know, if you if you sweep the the sidewalks, there's not going to be the same stuff laying on the sidewalk everywhere. You have to kind of like get a big sample to get an idea about what is present. If you want to see what's in the ocean, you need a pretty big sample from the ocean. If you want to see what's floating around on the sidewalks, you need to sweep a big part of the sidewalk before you can get an idea about what's on the sidewalk. It's the same thing with the blood. So the blood is just not one equal mass. It's not just the same thing. It's it's basically a fluid and there's stuff inside the fluid. So if you want to be able to get a sample size that's big enough to even measure anything in the way that it's being measured, then you have to take a lot of blood so that you can isolate the stuff that you're looking for or so you can grow the stuff that you're looking for. There has to be certain things present there before you can detect it with the testing method that that we have. And I'm not really sure how this idea about just taking one drop of blood from somebody um, translates into this. Of course, I was like, okay, everybody seems to love this company. Everybody seems to love this idea. Everybody seems to be pouring their money after this girl. There must just simply be something that I don't know. It turns out, of course, (laughs) uh, there was not... Uh, uh, something that I didn't know it was just that a lot of people were sitting around and not saying anything some people were speaking up like uh, Elizabeth Holmes um, previous professor from Harvard she left Harvard after six months or something like this just saying girl this is not possible basically you would have to completely change how you are testing if you were going to work with this idea of only testing from one tiny drop of blood. And that's not what this device was about. This device was just about working with very small sample sizes and putting it everything inside something that looks like a laser printer, a big laser printer or something like this. But I just find it so weird and so strange how an idea like this can be allowed to just hang around and and, and be here and people will support it and put money into it and so on. When you have like a mother that sits there, I'm referring to myself here, uh, with the knowledge that I got from speaking to an intensive care nurse that was looking after my daughter, I see how this is not possible. But the world really do likes to get blinded. And when it comes to Silicon Valley and when it comes to the medical field, there just seems to be so much room for just saying things. And people, they will support it with their money. Remember, 
apparently she was worth one billion dollars at one point for for something that is actually practically not possible uh, with the current known kind of um, laws of nature if you will um, but it is strange how there isn't a real community that is speaking up against it but there's another thing that this uh, Elizabeth Holmes, she was talking so much about in, in this connection, and it was that she wanted to do um, early detection of diseases. So that was one of the things she was she talked about a lot. Because we could test more, then we would also be, it would be uh, easier for us to detect diseases earlier. And that's also something that I take a little bit issue with so it's like okay so you can detect something you want to detect something before there's any symptoms in the patient and that's something that actually quite terrifies me i can tell you that when my daughter she was in intensive care we also had uh, researchers kind of like floating around on the floor and and talking to the parents and asking if they could get a blood sample or if they could get the um, observations uh, and I spoke to one specific woman and she was doing research into early detection of diseases. And what she said to me, it was, hey, wouldn't you have wouldn't you have liked to know that wouldn't it be nice if, if what your daughter had, it could have been de detected earlier. And I was sitting there with a kid and on life support, you know, yeah, I would really like to do not be in this situation that I was in. Um, but then there are some other problems that comes around this early detection. And I just want to plant a seed, you know, something for you to think about and just for something for you to be aware about. Because we do have a lot of, um, you can say that when it, when it comes to the medical field, it becomes um, kind of like a pretty dirty legal area all of a sudden, you know, like... For instance, if you have a child that has a disease, you know, if you don't agree with the treatment that the doctors wants to offer this child, you could have your child taken away from you. Of course, uh, uh, you can see the obvious reasons why they would do that, because it, it, it could be maybe life-saving save, treatment. And if your child didn't get that, that your child would die. But then, yet again, you know, is it is it just something that when a doctor says so, then you have to jump or ask how high? Um, or is there also where where do we draw the line? That I know one case of a family they had a child that uh, had cancer, and the child had been through cancer treatment. Uh, horrendous horrendous cancer treatment and then after they came home they would like to continue the care for the child where actually it was said the treatment is over and they wanted to continue this uh, the care at home where they started using a lot of you know paying a lot of attention to the food they used a naturopath and they had like different people um like a whole team of of people that were looking after this child's health outside of the hospital. And the child got a lot better. I wish I had some kind of link to it or something. This is just something I remember reading about and be horrified about. And the child was doing very well. The child had no cancer. But the hospital, uh, they thought that it would be best if uh, the child got some kind of preventative chemotherapy or they wanted to extend the treatment even after that it was declared that there was no cancer left but then they wanted to add some kind of preventative care and as the parents they opposed to that they actually uh, had their child taken away for the period of time that this treatment was taking place and they got the child back. They were not allowed to visit the child during the treatment and so on. When they get got the child back, it was bloated, feeling more sick than ever. Um, and it was quite a devastating situation for the child and for the parents. I mean, for the whole family. And I can only imagine even for the doctors as well. 
you we don't know as as we're sitting here uh, what the right thing to do would have been but it kind of freaks me out a little bit to think about that there could be a test coming one day where it would say that hey you know what your child um has these uh indications that it will develop cancer later in life so we are going to offer or give this treatment right away and frankly you have nothing you can say about that the child can't speak for itself the parents has to answer and you say well you know there's no symptoms so we would rather not treat what if the doctor say then could come back and say well <laughs> we don't really care about that that's child neglect that you are not treating these symptoms that are not present <laughs> it's a scary situation and it's also because we are talking about an industry where they are not very good at regulating themselves they are not ve- they're not um they it's they seem to be driven a lot by greed They will charge as much as they can for their products and they will sell as much product as they, as they can. I mean, we just have to look at the COVID vaccines and how they have been oversold. Uh, where I'm from, a small country like Denmark, now uh, our government here, they're going to trash two uh, billion Danish kroners worth of COVID vaccines, which would probably be something like 400 million dollars or something like this for a country where we are almost six million people um well uh, we don't need those vaccines anymore but we are going to buy new ones as well and at the same time we're going to trash uh, all of those doses it's it's you know These these are not great signs for a pharma for th- th- this doesn't speak for the pharmaceutical industry for being a kind and understanding industry that will go okay well you know maybe we smeared it on a little bit too thick or blah 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 no it's just well that's it you bought it uh, you were lucky to get it at the time and now you're stuck with it and now expiry date uh, uh, the last use by date has has come up and all you can do is to get rid of it. At the same thing, when you look at a product like Ozempic for weight loss, which is also a, a very expensive product, and of course, you know that they are just taking as much money as they can, and that's the way that they operate. They will take as much money as they can for as long as they can, and how long can they do that? Well, for as long as they have the patent, and if you start following these things, then you will also see. Then when a patent runs out, then it's like, oh, okay, this product is not very good. Then you can start criticizing certain products because the patent has run out. And then there will be a new product waiting behind the scenes um, to come in and take center stage. And then we run the whole process again. And this process is always about getting as much money as you can. Um, if you look at a country like England they have put a, a ceiling on how m- how much medication may cost for one patient in one year and that basically means that they now has they have decided this by law so when they go and negotiate prices with the pharmaceutical industries they get it at the price that they that that fits in with this framework and then you have other countries for instance like Denmark where I am where we have no such ceiling There is no limit to how much one medication may cost for one patient in one year. So the pharmaceutical industry, they can just take whatever they want, basically. There is no real negotiations going on here. We do see how medication is getting more and more expensive and it's taking bigger and bigger parts of the health budgets in all countries around the world so that we don't have enough doctors we don't have enough nurses we don't have enough beds and so on but we just keep spending 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 on medication and that's the ind- that's a, this type of industry that i fear so if they will say well hey look at this we now have this test you can run this test on somebody and it will show that they are with the probability certain probability they're going to develop this disease in the future but 
good for us <laughs> because we also have a medication for it. So then you're starting to sell pharmaceutical products to people who do not have any symptoms. And when it comes to children, then you get this whole sticky issue in around neglecting your child if you are not allowing for this treatment. And that's where it gets really gross and disgusting. But that was one of Elizabeth Holmes' uh, ambitions. It was to allow us to have earlier detection of diseases simply through testing more. Which, of course, also at the same time would mean more prescriptions. But I don't think that there's any doubt that this is the future that we are facing. This is the direction that we are running. So this is coming towards us. So I just want to plant the seed in, in your head so you can start observing, look around, see what's going on around you. Uh, just start noticing. And of course, I just wanted to comment on this crazy thing about how Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos or whatever it's called, how they could raise all this money based on, frankly, the emperor's new clothes. They never developed a functioning device. Uh, when they were trying to develop the, f uh, uh, the device, they came... The, the results that came back were full of so many mistakes. I mean, blood sam when, you, when your blood is being sent off to a lab, there's always the risk of contamination of your blood sample. You know, so I think I read a number that says that it's up to one third of all uh, samples that get contaminated with something else because people are handling it because it's in a bag and then it has to be transported and so on. So there's there's like even though you seal everything and you do everything so well, there's still a very high risk um, uh, of contamination of the sample. And then you'll find stuff inside your sample that is not there, which maybe also have happened to my daughter when she was in hospital. They found uh, bacteroides in her blood, which is basically bacteria that comes from the intestines. But what the doctors also said, they said, we don't know how this would ever have gotten into her blood. And it's, there's a likelihood that it's a false positive. Uh, but we have to treat as if she has bacteroides in her blood, because otherwise it is going to kill her. Okay, so then you have that on top. And at the same time, then these devices, they also produce false negatives. So basically it means that it, there's certain things that it doesn't detect and that will be down to quite often that the sample size is simply not in or sometimes at least if the sample size is not big enough, meaning if not enough blood has been drawn, then there's a higher likelihood of you getting a false negative. And of course, with this idea, if you think that you can measure everything from just one drop of blood, the likelihood of that is even higher. So that was uh, just what I wanted to talk about her. Then I just wanted to tell you something beautiful uh, from my consultation room uh, that happened because I work with weight loss. And I have developed this uh, program I call Root Cause Dieting, where, you know, where I see the people on this program, I see them weekly, or at least for the first two months. Normally, the homeopathic consultations are monthly, but I just... And I have been doing weight loss with patients as well, but the monthly consultations, it's just not enough. And that is in my experience because there's just things coming up. I have, weight, I have a beautiful weight loss protocol that you can just go in straight up and buy from my website and there it is and, and, and you can just use it. But the problem is not following a protocol. You know, we know, we know there's so many protocols out there. The problem is when the protocol is over and you go back into your life and then we know for so many people that they gain the weight right back and that's of course what i want to avoid by doing it like this so in this root cause dieting we spend four months together 
And in the first two months, we're together every week. And then the following two months, we see each other every other week. And the idea is just to get a real good, thorough introduction into the diet. What to do, what to get, how to get it, where to get it, and so on. Uh, and how how should I do this? What should I cook? How should my day look? And all those things. And it's it's just very helpful to have these weekly uh, chats where we, we follow up on all of these things. I can answer all the questions and help as, as we go along. And of course, it's also once we get on the other side of the diet that we keep the contact. There is accountability in showing up to the consultations. Um, and you can come with your questions and get all the help and support that you need because in this program as well, you can also book acute consultations. It's all included. Uh, but at the same time, then I also like to work with this in the way of to of self-discovery. So to use, because we know that uh, when people, they lose weight, they also kind of like feel a little bit freaked out where they feel like, they still feel like the the chubby person or whatever. I just want to say right away, you know, I'm not talking about weight loss to look like Kardashian. You know, that's not what it is. I'm not talking about trying to live up to some kind of glamorous ideals. This is not what this is about. It's simply about helping people live their best life. And there's a lot of people out there. Just look at Ozempic <laughs> uh, and, and how, how much money they are making now on this exact same problem. Uh, but of course, when we are looking at it from the homeopathic perspective, what I want to look at is what is the root cause? Where is this coming from? Why did this happen? And so on. And that's the discovery that we go through in these uh, consultations together. But I just wanted to share this that I find so beautiful that uh, uh, one of the people that is in this program with me, she came back and told me. She said she had gotten the insight that my body is not my enemy. It just, it's just so significant and so beautiful. And you know, what she figured out is that when the body started to put on the weight, which it just did while being on the same diet as she was normally on, there were some circumstances that had ch changed. The diet was the same, her lifestyle was the same. But what she found out was that the weight was kind of, uh, I don't want to say piling on, but 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 she she started gaining the weight, and this was a way, first of all, for her to protect herself from a certain situation, but also to prevent herself from being for for living up to an ideal, frankly, that was asked of her in the situation she was in. I don't want to sit here and talk too much openly about people that come to my consultation, so I have to be very careful with my words. But she was in a situation uh, where she had to live up to a certain role and, as she, and she didn't want to be in that role anymore. And the moment that she realized she didn't want to be in that role anymore, then she started gaining weight. So, you know, in that way, her body was actually protecting her from staying in the role that she was in. So this is what happened to her and then of course we just have to through the consultations through the remedies while we are also using a fantastic protocol for weight loss um she um she could get these insights and she could start understanding herself even more and and in this way also explain i don't know communicate to the body hey do you know what you don't have to be in this state anymore because the danger that was there it's not here it's gone the situation she was in she got out of that situation therefore the body can also let go of the weight again and she understood that her body had 
gained the weight as a way of protecting her. And I don't think that you can get any better message from the homeopathic consultation or any way or any means that you use to treat your body than to understand that your body is your friend. Your body is your friend. Your body never wants to become your enemy. And when it does, there is a root cause to it and we can go and we can find it in the homeopathic consultation. It will never prevent you from receiving any other kind of treatment that you are being offered. But there is a nice journey in trying to go in to find out why did my body do this? And of course, we can never say, well, here is the result. We put it through the machine and the machine says that this is why your body did it. No, we cannot know that. But when we explore it together and we explore it with the homeopathic remedies, then we can start making sense of it. And we know inside of ourselves when things they make sense. We know inside of ourselves when we understand something that we haven't understood before. And it's the same thing with this statement. My body is not my enemy. My body always wants to protect me. When you have that as a knowing inside of you, not as an abstract explanation for something, but as a knowing, because you have experienced it, you have worked it out, now you know, then that's as good as any machine that can spit out a result for you. It is the highest form of healing, if you ask me. And that is a goal to have when you're working as a homeopath for everybody to understand this. My body is my friend. Full stop. Even when it does strange things. So, for instance, when you look at cancers, there's a lot of cancers uh, that we see. So, for women, the main thing is breast cancer. For men, it's very often prostate cancer that will be the first cancer that a person has. And those are not vital organs. The prostate or the breast is not vital organs. We can live without our breast. We can live without our prostate. And this alone is kind of proof that your body is trying to protect you because it has this situation here. But it's not putting it in the liver. It's not putting it in the heart. It's not putting it in the lungs. Of course, I understand that some people also have these types of cancers as the first cancer. Okay, so I'm, it's, I'm not speaking... This is the, it's not black and white here, okay? But for many people, the least, you could look at it as saying, okay, well, thank you, body, for putting it in my breast or for putting it in my prostate because I can live without these organs. They're not vital. And um, you can have that treated in the way that you want it to be treated. And then, of course, it's a good idea to go home and make some corrections so that the body doesn't have to do the same thing. But now there's no breast, now there's no prostate, so now it has to go somewhere else. That's the homeopathic logic. That the body will put things where it does the least harm. So it's the same thing that we see it with, there is like this little cycle that we can observe in the homeopathic practice. That is, um, you see a baby with eczema. And if you go to your doctor with a baby with eczema, they will look at the skin. If you come to the homeopath with a baby with eczema, we will look at the digestive issue. Because we will say, well, you know what, in many cases, the skin issue is actually not a skin issue, it's actually a digestive issue. And when we deal with the digestive issue, the skin issue will resolve itself. Because the skin and the digestive system is actually completely connected. It may be separated by an asshole, <laughs> but when you look at the skin on the bum, and the skin and the colon, they're actually very close and they are one of the same piece. It's just that 
they are on each side of the asshole, <laughs> sorry, of the anus. But it's very close together, so it's not that weird to think of it as being connected. But that's the view, not just homeopathic, lots of, uh, you know, in the Ayurvedic tradition, in in uh, traditional Chinese medicine, and so on. It, this just makes completely sense, and it's the logic that we're working with. But of course, if you take the baby down to the GP, what he will do is he'll prescribe a steroid cream. I'm not talking against steroid creams. I'm talking about the extended use about steroid creams. Steroid cream, they can help for a short period of time. Absolutely. It's just not so great when it's being used in an extended period of time. But what does the steroid cream do? Well, it basically prevents the body from expressing the toxins that it's trying to push out through the skin that maybe the body has because the body is otherwise constipated and it has very difficulties getting rid of things. Remember that the poop uh, or the digested food, when that, as soon as that goes into the intestines and the, and the colon and so on, it's soft tissue. You know, it's not stainless steel that is just holding everything in place. Things are leaking through the soft tissue. So that's the, but when you then put the steroid cream on top of the skin, to prevent the skin from doing what it's trying to do, then it has to go somewhere else. And then what we observe is then it goes to the lungs. And then you now you have a disease on a vital organ and you didn't have that before. Or your baby didn't have that before. So, but of course we have the, the uh, all the doctors, they are specialized in the different topics. So the, the dermatologist looks at the skin, you know, and, and the stomach, whatever, digestive doctor, he looks at that. And, and then you have somebody that looks on the lungs and they are completely, these doctors are completely separated from each other and they never speak to each other. So again, if I had someone come to my practice with asthma or bronchitis or something like this, I would again look at it as a digestive issue and say and see okay has there been any eczema uh, between uh, constipation and asthma that has been treated with a steroid cream which would be a nice indication that we need to go back to the digestion and get that cleaned up and so on but it also shows again that the body is just trying to protect you it's just trying to do what's best for you you can push skin things out through the skin it has to be a a larger area on the skin before it becomes really dangerous for you but as soon as you have something on your lungs then you actually have something on a vital organ and you know uh, it's 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 uh, uh, now now you you have a disease that would would actually be able to kill you. So it's good to step back sometimes and just say, hey, okay, my body is my friend, my body is not my enemy, my body is expressing something now. What is it actually expressing? And I don't think that you can get many people here. Uh, today that are more capable of taking the real holistic view on your body than homeopath, frankly. Uh, I'm uh, completely biased in that. I'm a homeopath. I love homeopathy. Yeah. So maybe just go around and ask around. I don't know. But that's just what I think. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to be when you are practicing homeopaths to be convinced of the medicine that I'm working with. And I am. All right, that was that. Now let's get on to talking about the exciting topic of using dreams in the homeopathic consultation. It has taken some time for me to get into starting to use dreams as a part of my homeopathic practice. I sometimes ask, I, I've been asking sporadically about it. Have you had any significant dreams, especially after having a, a big and uh, well-matched remedy, then it's very interesting to hear if there's been any kind of experiences in the dreams that shows how the remedy is taking effect 
on the person. Because when we start to look into the dreams, then we have something that is completely unfiltered. Because the very significant thing about when we are dreaming, it is that uh, now our will is, is put out of function. So because we have so many problems with our will, <laughs> um, it's the good old story about, uh, I, I tell this story so often, uh, it's this very short clip that was with Deepak Chopra once, I haven't been able to find it unfortunately, but where he is asking out to an audience, should I listen to my body or should I listen to my mind? And his answer is, you should always listen to the body because in your mind, you justify, you explain, you intellectualize, you forgive, and so on. There's so many things that happens in our mind. But the body is always in the now. The body is just always reacting. And that's because of the will that we have in our minds. But when we are sleeping, this will does not exist anymore. It's just kind of like something that just occurs, that we remember sometimes after we wake up, some experience that we had while we were dreaming, that where well, we also know, you know, this dream, I just had this dream, it, this was unfolding, and it was not something that I willed, it was not something that I wanted, it was not something I manipulated, it was not something that I altered. <clears throat> and I can just say these things happen in my dream. And after a big meaning, like mostly like a high potency homeopathic remedy that is well matched to the individual, you can also find that there is some kind of resolution that is being found in the dreams or that something happens in the dreams that makes sense to the individual. So I have mostly asked about dreams in this connection. And I have also very often just simply described uh, dreams as another type of discharge. In homeopathy, we love discharges. You know, we love anything that comes out of the body because we can take it, we can look at it. It's when it comes out of the body, when it flows out of the body, we don't have to ask, do you think this is more yellow or green? We can just take a look at it and then we can see the color if we're talking about mucus that is coming out of the nose. We can see the color of it. And then you can start moving that idea about discharges. You can just move it a little bit further out. And then, you know, sometimes I will also say, well, hey, <clears throat> you know, tears are also a discharge. Okay, uh, I guess that's quite acceptable. We can see that there are tears coming out of, of the eyes and we can feel some kind of relief also after crying. If, if it was a kind of like a releasing a productive cry that we had. And then in the same way, you can also look at, the, at dreams as kind of like a mental discharge, where there's something that flows out of the body past your will. Your will has nothing to do with it. You, you cannot will the mucus from your nose to go away. Well, maybe you can if you're like super intense, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's uh, not necessary. <laughs> um, and at the same time, when we have our dreams, it's just something that just kind of flows out of the brain. And I have started asking more and more patients about dreams as I have been spending more time digging into the dreams chapter in our repertory. Some, that is the, the uh, indexed book of symptoms that we look at all the time as homeopaths. There is a, a dream chapter. It's not very complicated. It's not very. It's not very big even. But there are some very good key words in it. And when we look at dreams from the homeopathic perspective, actually, we don't have to even analyze a lot of things. We never analyze as homeopaths. We never sit down and have an opinion about what the patient is saying to us. Actually, it's the biggest thing to avoid when you are a homeopath because you're just stepping, stepping away, listening to the words coming out of the mouth, observing the patient, 
certain gestures they're doing or maybe you know do they use a lot of swear words we don't go into asking why do you use so many swear words no we just say the patient use a lot of swear words and we can actually repertorize on that so we never have to go into this heavy work of analyzing things we just write it down it's present that's it and it is the same thing when we look at dreams so they can but the dreams they are just such an amazing uh, topic to repertorize on because it comes so pure and it comes so straightforward so an example i was talking to somebody and she had a dream where one of her children were in there was in the dream and then of course you can sit down if you want to go all jungian about it then you can say okay what does uh, this what does this child your child represent about yourself in the dream and so on which is also interesting work and i would encourage anybody to do it because it's interesting it's exciting and you can go on a really interesting journey with that but from the homeopathic perspective all i have to do is saying okay there's a child in your dream and then i can be led to certain remedies through that because there will be certain remedies listed it's rare that the remedies are like super well indicated we have like a ranking system of the remedies so every time that we look up a specific symptom so now i call this a symptom i would say that you dreamt about a child uh, is a symptom so to say that i repertorize on you know understanding that symptoms can be seen in like a broader perspective like the homeopathic perspective everything in the homeopathic perspective is always broader and then um i can look up i could see that there were two remedies in the repertory i was using one of them was chocolate one of them was sepia none of them were ranked very high basically meaning that they are not very common symptoms for the person needing this remedy but then the dream symptoms are so pure they are so unfiltered that even if the indication is not very high meaning that there wasn't a lot of people that dreamt about children while they were doing the homeopathic proving of this remedy proving being the process that we go through when we try and figure out what can we use the different remedies for so for instance if there is a group of 100 people that are proving a remedy so that will always be homeopaths they will you could say take the remedy take more of the remedy as a healthy person and then what happens when you take homeopathic remedies as a homeopath as a healthy person over an extended period of time then instead of treating symptoms then you start producing symptoms and those symptoms produced are the ones that we can treat in a healthy person different another day maybe we can sit down and talk about that but if you have like 75% of the group that does this proving of a certain remedy that experience a symptom like my right knee is going to start hurting then we will pin that down as we can use this remedy to treat pain in the right knee but if only 25% of the people taking this remedy throughout the proving they experience they start dreaming about children well then it's not very well indicated in the repertories so that's basically what it is but a remedy doesn't have to be well indicated in the repertories for being the right remedy every time we look up we get these suggestions and we have to kind of like still sit and put the pieces together because it is a complicated way of practicing medicine but let me just go through the remedy chocolate so i'll just say that it's not a remedy that i prescribe very often it's not one that comes up very often in my repertorizations we have many remedies that come up much more often they are much better indicated and so on and it and there's there's a chance that i, I wouldn't have been able to get to the remedy chocolate for this person if i had not used dreams as part of the repertorization 
And just bear in mind that in homeopathy we have about six to eight thousand different remedies. Um, the, the, the repertory I work with has 1400 remedies in it and that's kind of like a good amount but yeah uh, it's out of those 1400 it's probably around 60 that are normally prescribed in the homeopathic practice so no we don't have intimate knowledge about all the remedies we need the tool of the repertory our index to go in and get access to these different remedies and so on but I found it very interesting that this remedy came up and I thought, okay, let me just go in and, and, and check it out and, and see what is going on here. This person doesn't sleep very well, has a lot of stress going on in their lives and so on. First thing that actually comes to my mind when I look at this remedy is that actually chocolate, okay, chocolate, what is chocolate? Chocolate is cacao and sugar. Those are the two ingredients that only that should be in chocolate. Of course, there's all sorts of other junk is being added, but original chocolate is cacao and it's sugar. And that little mixture makes a little potion, makes for a delicious treat. But of course, what do we also know that in cacao, it's full of magnesium. And magnesium is one of the first minerals to get burned off when we are very stressed. And we are talking about somebody that is very stressed. So I just thought, hey, well, okay, that's, that seems to be like a, a, a good little match here, you know, just from the perspective that there would be um, a reason to think that this person should also up their magnesium intake take while the stress is going on. But then I went in to look at the sleep chapter because so that that's basically all the remedies. They're split into uh, different uh, areas. So we have breast, chest, coughs, dreams, uh, eyes, face, female food and so on. Um, and when I look at under dreams, some of the stuff that is mentioned here is dreams are fragmented confused and obscure dreams of familiar people and friends so that of course fits into the whole thing that actually th this was a big dream not just about the child but it was all familiar people so that's something that we know about this remedy and if we then go and look at sleep Overcome by sleepiness, deep sleep sleeps poorly, restless, waking often. Very tired on waking, which was one of the main things that we were looking at with this person. And of course, there's like a thousand other ways that I should be able to find into this remedy. But I just got to say that uh, chocolate, finding chocolate and using the dreams that was a pretty neat little shortcut uh, that led to this remedy. I'm still to hear back and see if there's um, if the remedy has any great effect and, and I will update you as I hear about it, as I get some feedback uh, in a later podcast. But it may also just... Maybe you're thinking that when we are using dreams and the homeopathic practice that it gets very strange and it gets very uh, deep and it gets very interesting and so on. But no, you know, again, the dream, it's just a symptom. It's just something we can ask about. It's something that we know that the mind hasn't filtered. It come, it's, it's coming straight from somewhere without the will and it's something that is makes it very very easy to go in and repertorize on it there are certain remedies that come up when you go in and repertorize on um on dreams and there are certain remedies that are coming up that i don't find so often when i i don't talk about dreams and another remedy that i seem to that seems to come up again and again uh, when I look at the rubrics about dreams in the homeopathic repertory, 
that is coca. And that's actually a homeopathic remedies that is made from coca leaves. Um, it's, uh, frankly, the only time that I have really prescribed coca uh, to anyone. It is if they were, uh, you know, going very high up on mountains where the air is thin and there's not as much oxygen in the blood. And that that's where the coca can really help um, with the lightheadedness, with um, getting symptoms from being up so high. And also it is the mountain people very often that they will chew the coca leaves and, and this will be a part of their daily routine um, as, a kind, as a medicine in this way. So they're not taking cocaine. They're chewing the coca leaves and, and, and that will help them. I don't know, what is it, getting more oxygen out of the, <laughs> the air or holding it or utilizing it better and so on. Uh, and there's there's one quite interesting uh, symptom, so to say, uh, in coca that I thought uh, was worth mentioning. And that is there is a clearness of mind at night. So coca is uh, a remedy that very often uh, is indicated. Let me I'm just sitting here with the book in front of me. Uh, and that is when you when you in your sleep that you uh, meet dead relatives so that you have someone from your family that is coming into your dream and you are seeing them in your dream. And I just thought that's kind of nice to think of it, you know, with this clearness of mind as well, that there is a indication here that maybe it takes this type of clearness of mind of being able to see or to receive your dead relatives in your dream <clears throat> and if i go in and and look at the the sleep rubric about coca then we have nervousness with nightly restlessness chronic sleeplessness inclination to sleep but can find no rest, great drowsiness, awakens with a shock in the brain, cannot find rest anywhere but sleepy, awakes with a shock in brain when lying on back. So again, I just got to say, yeah, well, where these, where these symptoms, so you have relatives that show up in your dream at night, dead relatives that show up, we can make a big deal out of it and we can say, oh, it must mean this and it must mean that. I don't know. I don't know what it means. Um, Jungian psychologists, they will have a much clearer idea about this, but I can just use it in my homeopathic practice. And of course, there is with coca, we have a lot of uh, symptoms on the lungs and because we have a lot of symptoms on the lungs, we also have some well-indicated uh, symptoms on the skin. There is, is uh, some heart uh, issues that come here with palpitations, um, overexertion that, that is related to the heart. We have... Um, different sensations that we feel in the chest. There can be hoarseness, which will be found in the throat uh, and so on. Uh, but the dream in this way will just be another sign from the patient that will lead me to the remedy that hopefully is going to help the individual. But there's certain remedies that come up like this. And the last remedy I want to talk about is hydrogen. And I think hydrogen is just like such an amazing element. Of course, it's in the periodic table. It's the element number one. Uh, hydrogen is the H in H2O. So we have two hydrogen uh, elements to one oxygen element. And that makes for water. So we're now with hydrogen as a homeopathic remedy. Whoa, that is like a very, very, very basic uh, chemical thing, if you will, of our DNA. Uh, nothing was here 
if it wasn't for hydrogen. And of course, we're also looking at hydrogen for as an energy source, uh, where we separate the hydrogen from the water. And in this way, we get the hydrogen and cars can drive on it and, and so on. And then basically, uh, we can return it to being water again. But hydrogen is one of those remedies that shows up a lot, a lot in the dream chapter in the repertories and maybe not so much in other places. Well, not where it, it gets. I mean, there are there are many, many, many things in the repertory that that is that covers hydrogen or that is covered by hydrogen as a homeopathic remedy. But when you have the good old, very used, uh, what we call polycrest remedies that are kind of in the group of the 60 that I described, that are mostly prescribed from the, the, in the homeopathic practice, then some of these other remedies, they, uh, it's, it's like the, it's more difficult for them to take center stage in the treatment of the patient. And again, that's where I just find the dreams so wonderful to work with because we can get these smaller symptoms of, that you, if you want, you know, but where they are very clear, like I said, they are not altercated by will or they come out pure They come and they come from a very deep place. And for instance, if you dream about your mother, then the only remedy that is indicated uh, in our this repertory that I'm sitting with here, that's the remedy hydrogen. I can't remember if there's one more, but it, it's one or two. And if you look at the mother, you have the mother and you have the father uh, to make the baby. Um, you are down to the very basic elements of, of who we are. And... I don't know if it's because it is significant in, in that the mother is hydrogen, is the periodic system. I do not know, but I know that we are down to something that is super basic, uh, that is um, completely elemental to us, element elementary or yeah, elemental to us. It's, it's, it's fundamental is the word I'm looking for. Uh, where hydrogen we know ha comes before water, and we know we know how important water is to us. Hydrogen actually comes before that, as it's as an element of its own that is then mixed with oxygen, and then we have uh, water H two O. And hydrogen is. A remedy that I find very beneficial to people that are extremely burned out, where they have been through very long periods of excruciating stress, uh, almost like they have been in this corrosive process where they have been worn down, grinded down, uh, like rust basically does it on iron, where it's a slow grinding process that just slowly 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 wears you down into the ground and and definitely hydrogen is a remedy that i have gotten my eyes open to through the process of using dreams in my homeopathic practice and one that i am not really sure how i would otherwise have really gotten my eyes open to and now it has become more or less like a standard remedy that I prescribe in my practice because through using the dreams, through hearing what my patients come and tell me, I have now gotten to sit down and read a lot more about hydrogen and understand how great a remedy this is. And in this way, moving outside of the maybe 60 most prescribed remedies, just to kind of like expand my homeopathic minds into seeing that there are other remedies hiding inside my books that are completely fundamental and very beneficial for my patients. So that's how I work with dreams in my homeopathic practice. And I have to say, it's something that is making 
the consultation is very interesting. I think both for me and my patients, there's a lot of insights to be gained from using those types of symptoms. And luckily, we have a very straightforward way of using this information in the homeopathic practice. And that was all I had for you today. It's great to be back uh, with the podcast again. I hope that you enjoy my new intro and outro. And I hope that you will come back soon again for more. If you like this episode, then don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your friends and visit my website for more information about online consultations and online classes about homeopathy. My website is in the description. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you. Stay happy and healthy.